But tonight's message is called Nobody Preaches a Sermon. Ahenius and Tabitha, all right? Ahenius and Tabitha. So the first, you got your Bibles open and tears are read for us from the, from the reading. Uh, we see here Ahenius. What's wrong with Ahenius? He's a cripple. He's a, he's a paralytic man. He can't walk, right? And he lives in a place called Lydda. And Lydda has some believers there already. We're told this because it says, as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. Now, there's already saints there. So how did they get there? You ever thought about that? Like there must have been some kind of expansion from Acts chapter 2 where there was the, Pente with the Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit came down upon lots of people there and the message spread. You know, 3,000 people put, put their trust in Jesus that day when Peter shared that message. And no doubt they all went back to their homes in different places. And, and the message spread like that. That's, that's my guess anyway. But anyway, there's some believers. There's some saints in this place called Lydda, which isn't very far from Jerusalem. They actually tell me that if you've ever, anyone ever flown to Jerusalem, Israel here? You've been to Lydda, it's, or Lud. It's where the airport is, apparently. So anyway, he goes there. Peter goes to this place. And while he's there, he finds this man called Ahenius, and he's a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. So something's happened to him. Might have been a work accident. Could have been something else. Could have been just some kind of disease that developed over time and it affected him so much that he couldn't walk for the last eight years, right? Because he's a man. I think that's really cool that he's named in the Bible. Anyone here got their name in the Bible? Tearsa, yep. Yeah, Timothy, yeah, okay. All my kids, <laughs> pretty much. Um, mine's in the Bible too, in Greek. John, it's the same thing as Ian. Anyway, that aside, the John that's mentioned in the Bible is not me. The Tim that's mentioned in the Bible is not you. But there's this man in this, and Isaac, it's not you, but there's this man in the Bible mentioned in our reading today, and his name is Ahenius. He's mentioned, his name's mentioned. And when someone's name's mentioned, it's really, really important. There must be something about that person. This is what they tell you at Bible college anyway. There's always something interesting about someone when they're named. Because there's a lot of people not named that do amazing things. But this guy, he's named. Why is he named? What's his name mean? Anyone want to have a guess what his name means? All right, do you want me to tell you? I have no idea. No one has a clue. No one knows what this man's name means. It's just his name. And he's just a person. But he has a problem. I can relate to that. I'm just a person with a name. People get my name wrong. Anyone else have a weird name that people get wrong? Like I get emails with Lane. I'm Lane. Lane McGill. Because capital I looks like a, a small L. And so they think that I don't know how to spell properly with capitals. So it must be Lane. You need to put a capital L there. So they put a capital L, L there for me next time. So I'm like Lane McGill. Cool. What do you get? What do you get, Terza? Terza. Yeah, Terza. Yep. Um, so yeah, this man's name is, uh, it's spelt that way, but it's actually pronounced in the Greek, Achenius. All right. So just don't get that wrong because that could be awkward. But he is, um, there's nothing special about him in that he is bedridden. He's a paralytic and he has a problem and he needs healing. Peter turns up and what does he say to him in verse 34? He says, 
Jesus Christ heals you. Ahenius, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Pick up your mat. Roll up your bed. That's what he says. Sounds like Peter's been in this situation before and watched his master do it, right? Oh, yeah, he did. He saw Jesus do that multiple times with people with mats. All right? And so he does that, right? And people, it says in verse 35, all those who lived in Lydda and extended town of Sharon or the plain of Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. They saw this man, a walking, talking testimony of the power of Jesus Christ, and they turned to the Lord. They turned to the Lord and no sermon was preached. They turned to the Lord and no sermon was preached. The next person we come to is Tabitha or Dorcas. No one's going to call their child Dorcas in Australia. Okay, it's just, it's not going to happen because what do they get called at school? You know, but I actually met a little girl the other, uh, a few weeks ago and her name is Tabitha. Now you might know a Tabitha, but this little girl pronounces it correct. It's an Aramaic, it's a Hebrew name, and, uh, it, and her name is Tabitha. And it means, in Greek, it's Dorcas, but it actually means, anyone want to know what it means? Tabitha, not Talitha, Tabitha. It means gazelle, it means a gazelle, like the animal that jumps around everywhere, like an antelope deer looking thing in South Africa, or Africa, a gazelle, all right? So, and, it, and rightly named too. The parents got it right because check out, let's have a look at what Tabitha is famous for, all right? So it will, first of all, she's famous for dying. In verse 37, about that time, she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Then we're told in verse 38, uh, sorry, in verse 36, sorry, I missed verse 36. Her name was Tabitha, which when translated as Dorcas, she was always doing good and helping the poor. How often was she always doing good and helping the poor? Every day, every week, just always. It was just, you know, oh, you know Tabitha? Yeah, oh yeah, she's the one who's always doing good and helping the poor. And in fact, we see um, when um, that she's made a whole lot of tunics and blankets and things for people. She's that kind of person in church that's always doing something for somebody else. Anyone know someone like that? They're always crocheting something and, you know, just thinking of someone else. They're always thinking of the poor. They're, they're never wanting anything back in return. They're just serving and serving and serving and serving. And don't you notice that when someone like that dies or even just becomes sick and they're not functioning anymore. And this is what happens with this, this lady called Tabitha. Um, she, um, about that time where Peter was in Lydda, about that time, verse 37, she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. She died. And what happens is that people get her body ready for burial. They do the proper thing. It's pretty sad when someone dies. And, and we all go into burial mode, don't we? When someone dies, we all go into burial mode. But here, here there's an amazing miracle. 
Um, they go into burial mode. They, they wash her body and respectfully prepare her body for burial, but, but she's dead. So they put her in an upstairs room and wait for the ceremony to begin and, 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 and the burial, the proper burial ceremony to happen. But in the meantime, do you notice what it says there? Uh, she was placed in upstairs room, verse 38. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. I love how the New Living Translation puts it. When the believers heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent for him. They, when, they, when the believers heard that Peter was in Lydda, Uh, she ends up getting raised back to life again. And in, and in verse 42, we see this became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Cool. Not one sermon preached. Nobody preaches a sermon. And all the people all around Joppa heard about this and many believed in the Lord. And no sermon preached. Isn't that amazing? The gospel, we're told in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, it's the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. But the gospel, we don't see it being preached here. We see two healings happening, one healing and one resurrection and towns come to know Jesus. I think that's awesome. And I, I, I like this message too before next weekend when we have Stu come to share with us because he's going to tell us that the gospel needs to be proclaimed with our mouth. And he's right. It does need to be proclaimed with our, with our mouth. Peter probably did that in these towns, in Lydda and in Joppa. But I think it's on purpose that the Holy Spirit does not inspire Luke to write to us about the speaking but he's inspired to write about the fact that people came to know Jesus through the power that was displayed. People turn to the Lord, but there's no mention of preaching the gospel. There's just power displayed. Dale, you've just come back from building. Now, you've done a fence, but it was a pre-made fence. Now, imagine, imagine all of us right here we're building a fence. And we're building a fence from this side of the room to the other side of the room. Now, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. You do, but I'm helping you. So I get out my bench and I say, how can I help? Here's my two hands. I wanna help you build a fence from that side of the room to that side of the room. And uh, let's, who's in charge of building the fence? Let's pick somebody. Isaac. Everyone's pointing at Josh or Isaac. Isaac's in charge, right? Isaac is the foreman. Now, Isaac just tells me, Ian, Dad, all you've got to do is cut 100 planks of timber, six, uh, four by two, at 1,200 long, at 1,200 millimetres long, right? So that might be about 1,200 millimetres. What do you think, Dale? Pretty close, maybe 15. So anyway... 
the, uh, the, the planks of two by four that come from Bunnings, they're in, they're in 2,600 lengths. So I have to cut them down to size. So I'll get, what do I get out first? What, what piece of uh, tool do I get out first? Tape measure. Get my tape measure out. I've got a pen ready to go. So I put the tape on the end, pull it over to, what was it again, Isaac? 1200, 1200 mil, 1200 mil, 1200 mil, get my pencil, mark off 1200 mil with a little V on the point, because you want to go on the point, right? And I'll take my tape measure out, put it back, or put it on the bench over there, get a, get a square out, then I square, make sure the lines are all round, nice and straight, right? Then I line it up with my saw, and I cut that line straight, right on that line, fantastically straight. And a little off cut goes down the bottom, which is how long? 1400 long, because it's 2600 long, right? So I get that 1400 long one and I put it up here and I think, well, I can get a 1200 length out of that. So what do I do? I get my first one and I put it on top, line up the ends, get my pencil and mark off the end of the 1200 one onto the 1400 one. Make sense? Then I put that 12 on one away and I get my square and I go around and I cut it. Off bit comes off. Then I get my next plank, put it up, get the second piece that I just cut, put it on top of that one, mark it out, oh, sorry, line it up at the end so it's, you know, straight at the end. Then I mark the end of it. Then I take that top piece off and I get a square and I make sure it's nice and straight, square, it's perfect, right? So then I cut that off. And then how many do I need to cut? A hundred. Who can tell me if I'm doing it right or if I'm doing it wrong? What's gonna happen when I get to piece number 99? How long will piece number 99 be? Will it be 1200 long? The answer is no, it won't be because every single time I'm taking the piece that I've previously cut and I'm putting it on as the measure for the next one. So every time I'm taking the previous one off and putting a line, I'm actually adding about a mil or two, depending on the pencil that I'm using, onto the original length. Does that make sense? So what I need to do, instead of using the previous cut, length that I've just cut, what do I need to do? I need to go back to my tape measure and I need to measure every single one of them at 1200 and put a, put a line and then do it again for the next one. I always have to go back to the first 1200 measurement. And I think throughout the years of Christian history, what we've been doing is we've been measuring ourselves and how we do church and how we follow Jesus with the previous generation instead of looking at the original generation. I want you to turn, if you can, to Matthew chapter 10. And I want to show you what Jesus does with disciples. Because I think sometimes we can look at the disciples that Jesus works with here in the gospel, in the Bible, and think some things apply to them that don't apply to us. Does that make sense? Like, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll go and make disciples of all nations because that's a doable thing. But when it comes to 
what Jesus asked these guys to do in Matthew chapter 10. I don't know about that. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. He called his disciples, 12 disciples, to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Wow. Woo. And down further, he's named the disciples, but then down further in verse 7, oh, sorry, verse 8. Oh, no, verse 7. Let's look at verse 7. It's really important. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. I just can't read any further. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. I went to Sunday school as a kid. Singing the song, freely, freely, you have received, freely, freely give. Go in my name and because you believe, others will know that I live. Anyone ever sing that at Sunday school as a kid? Any old people? Sorry, I just saw the hand. <laughs> you didn't remember singing it? Not at Sunday school, after Sunday school. After Sunday school, okay. Yeah, and that's where, that, that's where the song lyrics come from, this passage. And I didn't know that until I read this passage one day because I grew up singing that as a kid. And then I read this, I'm like, what does that mean then? Freely you have received, freely give. Like, freely you have received the kingdom of God, freely give. The, this is the message you to declare. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, there's no leprosy, there's no demons, there's no sick, there's no dead. Anyone ever been to heaven? Because if you have, you'll be able to say, Amen. There's no sickness. There's no death in heaven. There's no demons in heaven. There's no leprosy in heaven. There's no uncleanness. There's no, there's no cancer. None of that stuff is in heaven. And Jesus says to the disciples, this is the message that you're declaring. The kingdom of heaven is near. And then he gives them this assignment to do, which is totally impossible and out of reach for anyone's skill set. And we go, oh, this must just apply to the disciples. It mustn't apply to us. It's, it's just the 12 disciples. But then I think, well, how about Judas? What happened to Judas? Surely he, he still did this. If he can do that. Yeah. Anyway. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And he says that to the 12. And then, we, and then I think uh, over history, because we don't see that happen or we're too afraid to put ourselves vulnerably into those situations to, to seek God for wisdom and, and strength and power in those situations, we don't see it happen. But I still believe that God wants to do miracles. I mean, we all do. We all believe that he does miracles. It's just putting that into, into effect is a difficult thing. There's a contention there in luke chapter 9 it's the same it's the same parallel right jesus sends out the 12 together right he sends them out but then after a little while in luke chapter 10 and obviously in matthew as well it's a similar thing um, he sends out not just the 12 but it says in luke chapter 10 after this the lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. 
So it's not just the 12 here, it's 72 others. So there's like 84 altogether. And this is the instructions that he gives them. He, verse 2, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the, but the workers are flu. Flu. <laughs> the workers are flu. The workers have flu. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. And he goes on with some other instructions as well. And then down in verse um, 8, it says, When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Verse 9, Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. And what do you guys do with verses like that? What do, you, what do you do with passages like that where Jesus calls his disciples? I want to know. Like he calls his disciples to do a mission, right? He sends them out on a mission. He gives them authority to do this, to, to declare the message, but to also perform these, this, this power that comes with the message. Where, where do you guys stand on that? Because I, I, I think with me, I, I kind of, I read things like this and I think, well, that must apply to me. That, that must apply to, to us. And then I think, well, maybe I'm not gifted. Anyone ever used that one before? Maybe I'm not gifted. Maybe I'm not gifted to be a disciple of Jesus. Maybe, you know, maybe these guys were gifted. Of course they were. They were given authority by Jesus. He gave them authority. He gave them authority, right? Um, turn with me to Matthew uh, 28. If you don't turn with me, that's fine. It's being recorded. It's on the, it's on the internet, on the website, and we can listen to it later. And Matthew 28 and verse 18 is the Great Commission, right? Okay. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18. No doubt we'll listen to this one next Sunday as well. Jesus is with his disciples. He's fully resurrected, large and in charge. And he says in verse 18, uh, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Like all authority, everything. It's been given to Jesus. So he says then, Therefore, knowing that, knowing that he's got all the authority, go and make disciples of all nations. All people groups, all right? It doesn't mean, you know, go to China and disciple the whole country. That's not what it means. It just means all people groups, nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Everything. So every single thing that Jesus has commanded his disciples, his disciples, this is the way Jesus makes disciples, right? He takes them into situations where it's impossible for them to rely on their own ability and strength. They have to be in a place where they're relying upon the ability and strength of God alone and the authority of God alone as well. And so he gives them, he gives them authority to go and make disciples like he made disciples, the same kind of disciple, you know, the first cut of the timber. No changes, 
no ifs, no buts. The way Jesus makes disciples is the way he expects his disciples to make disciples, who then make disciples, who then make disciples. And I think somewhere along the line, through throughout history, and I don't like I'm not blaming it, I'm not I'm no one's perfect, right? But I kind of think, I wonder if if there's someone who's just, you know, only ever lived on a desert island somewhere with a Bible, like a New Testament, and they've just read about what it means to be a Christian. And I wonder if they've ever just, you know, been found and brought back on a plane somewhere and went, I want to be with the other Christians. Where are they? And they go and meet them and they're like, what? What, what piece of wood are you guys cut out of? You know, like, where's the, where's the power? Where's, where's, the, where's the wonders? Where's the healings? Where's the, where's the, where's the faith? And, and I think maybe we've turned Christianity into a, an intellectual power rather than a Holy Spirit enabling power. So he sends them out with authority to make disciples. He said, go out, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, right? baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. I think that's the clincher, obeying. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, Peter was in that group with the other 10. There was 11 there because Judas wasn't there when Jesus commissioned them. And it's the great commission, not the great mission. You know what a commission is? Two people working together on a mission. And so Jesus said to his disciples, and then I will be with you to the very end of the age, right? So it's Jesus working with his disciples through the mission, which is where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 9 with Peter in Lydda and in Joppa. He heals this man and he raises this woman back to life. And I can't help but think, especially with both of them, that Peter's done exactly what he saw his disciple-making master do in two other instances. He saw the man around the pool. He saw Jesus pick one man out of a group of other men and say, pick up your mat and walk. And he did it. He got up and he went. And Peter, Peter learned that on the job training. What do you think the other story is related to? You know, the story of Tabitha, Tabitha, the Dorcas, her story. Yep. Matthew chapter four, Matthew chapter five. Sorry, no, Mark, Mark chapter five. Matthew five is awesome as well, but it's got nothing to do with this. But Mark chapter five, we see this, this uh, man called Jairus. And it's his daughter who's 12 years old and she's very sick. Jesus is is he's just come back from delivering a man with loads of demons in him. He's landed on the shore uh, and great crowds have come to him for, um, for healing and they want to listen to his teaching. And anyway, while he's there, it says um, in verse 22 of Matthew, Mark, sorry, Mark 5, 22, then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, right? And Jesus follows this guy because he sees the great faith of this Jairus fella, 
right? So as Jesus is going, you might know the story, there's great crowds around him, bustling, pushing and whatever. And then all of a sudden, Jesus turns around and he says, who touched me? Now, we know the backstory here is there's this older lady or another lady who's had this bleeding issue for 12 years as well. And she says to herself, if only I just touch the edge of his garment, I'll be healed. She does that. And Jesus feels the power go from his body into her problem and it heals it. And so in verse 30, it says, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Okay, eventually she gives up, comes falling at his feet and says, it was me. And Jesus says to her in verse 34, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Wow, amazing healing for that, for that lady. In the meantime, though, while Jesus is being interrupted, guess what happens? Verse 35, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, saying, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Why would they say that? Because she's dead. <laughs> that's it. When someone's dead, that's it. We can't do anything more. You know, well, they're in a better place now. And that's great. There's no more pain now for it. Good. We say things like that because it helps us feel better about allowing death to boss us around. Is there any death in heaven? No. There's no death in heaven. One day... We'll all die, probably. But we also won't if we trust in Jesus. But anyway, while these men come to Jairus and say, your daughter's dead, don't worry Jesus anymore. In other words, he was going to heal her and now it's too late, so just don't waste your time. Jesus responds in verse 36. In the NIV, it starts with the word ignoring. What, what word do you have in your Bible? Jesus ignored? Over, overhearing their words, Jesus says to the synagogue ruler, two things, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe, right? He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of, the brother of James, that is. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. That's normal. Why? Because she's dead. It's sad. And this is what Peter sees as well when he goes to the house. He goes to the upstairs room, there's widows, they're wailing, they're saying, Peter, look, in Acts 9 that is, they're saying, Peter, look what she made. She was so wonderful. We remember her really well, but now, you know, she's washed and she's dead. Jesus goes to this little girl's home in, in Mark chapter 5, and he saw the commotion. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Why did they laugh at him? Anyone want to answer? Because, sorry, Lord, she was dead. Another question, is Jesus a liar? No, he's not. He's never been a liar. So when Jesus says, the child is not dead, but asleep, she mustn't be dead. She must be asleep. Sometimes we can be so afraid of things in our life, like death, and forget the lordship of Jesus and forget what real reality is when Jesus actually is the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that death doesn't happen. 
or sickness doesn't happen, people don't get sick, and death, people don't die, that's, it happens. But what I am saying is that we need to have that mindset like Jesus. And that's why he takes, he takes the three disciples with him and the mother and the father with them into the room and he puts all of the other people out. In verse 40, after they laughed at him, he put them all out of the room and he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, Peter, James and John, went in where the child was and he, and he took her by the hand and said to her, he spoke to the dead body. He said to her, that's great. I wonder how we can relate that to our life. What's dead? What's dead? What's dead in your life? What's a dead end? What's an impossible thing that you just don't know how it's going to happen or how it's going to work out? Now, maybe there's no one here, maybe because we're all pretty good. I don't know. But maybe there's a situation in someone that you know where you, you just, you've, been, you've been praying and praying and praying. You've been coming to Jesus and it seems like he's being interrupted and interrupted and interrupted. And yet you still want to believe. You still want to not be afraid. And you still want to say, okay, Jesus, you're not a liar. You're telling the truth. This isn't really a dead situation. They're just asleep. This is just a temporary thing that they're going to wake up from. Anyone got any situations like that in their life or people that they know that are going through things like that? The best person to bring into that room is Jesus. Back to um, Acts chapter 9, Peter comes to this place in Joppa. Everyone is um, crying, sad, and he goes up to this room in Acts chapter 9. And we see when he, the first thing he does when he, when he gets there is he puts people out of the room. And it's verse 40. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. He spoke to a dead, he spoke to a dead thing. Jesus spoke to a dead thing. Jesus spoke to a little girl. And the words he said in, in the Bible, in Aramaic, Jesus spoke to this little girl. He said, Talitha, kum which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Now, Peter, true to form as a disciple, measured by the first prototype block of wood, Jesus, that is, he comes into this situation, which is very similar, although she's not 12, but she's dead, and there's people that are afraid and sad, but there's some that are believing. And so Peter goes into this situation and he goes, I've been here before. I've been taught this lesson. I might put it into practice. And so he does that. He says, he gets on his knees, no doubt. He talks to Jesus. He's like, please remind me what it was that you said. <laughs> please, what, what was it again that you did? And so then he says to this dead body, Tabitha cum. Not Talitha cum, but Tabitha cum. And it's really funny because when he's saying gazelle, get up, get up gazelle, jump gazelle <laughs> it's really funny but that's what he's saying and he's saying it to a dead body he's saying it to a dead body and then the bible tells us that she opened her eyes did she get up just yet no she opened her eyes and when she saw peter 
she sat up. She saw Peter. The faith that Peter had was powerful enough to see this dead woman open her eyes and then come back to life again. The great commission that Jesus sent his disciples to, to make disciples is, is that he wants them to make disciples. It's just a given that a disciple would look like a disciple who'd look like a disciple who'd look like a disciple. That's why we find throughout Acts, disciples like Stephen and Philip, who aren't the original 11, being like the original 11. They're not apostles, but it's, po it's possible to live like a disciple of Jesus. So what do you and I do with that? You know what I do with that? Scriptures like this, I go, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to try. You know, I'm going to try. I'm going to be a part of a team called the Healing Rooms Australia team in Pakenham. I'm going to try. I'm going to seek God to give enough of myself to him that he might think that using someone like me to bring him glory, not just in declaring how good he is, but showing how good he is in works of power and miracles and healing. I, I, look, I, I, I don't think that's un-Wesleyan for us to think that way. Paul writes to the, to the church in Rome. Now, I don't want to misquote him because um, sometimes people can misquote script. They just pick scriptures out of the blue and they misquote them. But um, in, in Acts, uh, sorry, not Acts, where am I? Romans. Romans chapter 15, Paul's writing to these Greek Christians, right, in Rome. And he's writing to them about how he has been a disciple. So Paul wasn't one of the 11, right? But he's characterized as an apostle because he saw the resurrected Jesus, right? So did Mary the Magdalene. Romans 15, verse 17, Paul writes to these guys and girls, sorry, therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. All right, there's that word and deed, what I've said and done, right? These people, the Gentiles have followed God because of what Paul has said and done. Verse 19, oh, sorry, there's no break. Verse 19, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, which is East Italy, like <laughs> that's a massive area, from Jerusalem all the way to there, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Like I thought the word proclaimed meant with your mouth. But he's saying here, I've proclaimed the message of Christ with my mouth and with the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. Now, this is not like, this is not a message on like, let's do miracles so that people can, can you know, we can get affirmed by how awesome we are and how much faith we have. Not at all. The miracles and signs are exactly what, what the sign, the word sign means. It's a sign to the thing. So the thing is the gospel message that we have salvation and forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ if we place our faith and trust in him. And the signs and the miracles accompany that message to confirm to unbelievers 
that this is a message that needs to be believed. Otherwise, it's just an intellectual conversation we have with people over debating them and leading them into faith through thinking who Jesus is, not by experiencing who Jesus is. Does that make sense? Fully proclaimed. And so here, I, I, think, I think it's beautiful how the Holy Spirit uses Luke to write this little passage that Tears are read for us earlier about Ahenius and Tabitha. How towns of people decided to follow Jesus because they saw that God was real in someone's life. Isn't that amazing? And you might think, oh, I'll do that. I, I, I can't do that. Yes, you can. I can too. Why? Because God was with Peter. He was with him. Jesus was with him. No doubt that's why Peter was praying next to the bed of Tabitha. Just praying, God, I know you're with me. And in fact, he says to Ahenius, I don't heal you. What does he say? Jesus Christ heals you. Peter's just the instrument. I'm happy to be an instrument. Let's pray. Lord, we just, um, right before you tonight, we are an orchestra of instruments. And you are the master. You're the craftsman. You're the artist. You're the one who can use us. Each one of us are made differently. Each one of us have different sounds and abilities and, and reasons. And you've got a plan for each one of us that involves different details and different, different gifts that you've given us. But Lord, help us to see that all of us have your Holy Spirit in us, that all of us have the ability to, to co-mission with you in making disciples and teaching them all that you have taught. Help us, Lord God, to stay to the original plan. Help us not to deviate or be afraid of what people might think, but to listen to you and to read what you have said and what you have taught. And we just thank you, Lord, that in it all, you're with us. And Father, we pray for the people in our lives that need Jesus. Not an intellectual knowledge of him, but they need to see him at work. Help us, Lord God, to be your hands and feet. Help us to model through our life and our lifestyle that you are real in our lives. But also we ask, Lord, that you might use us to pray into these people's lives, the problems that come their way, that you might heal and bring miracles, Lord God, that might turn them to Jesus too. Help us to preach a message, Lord God, not with just words. We ask this in Jesus' name. 